And now if you have children between the ages of four and six, you may send them to children's worship training where they will learn more about corporate worship and how to participate and be active in corporate worship. Active minds and active ears, but perhaps not so active bodies. They're also welcome to remain here with you as we turn together to the Gospel of John. This morning's passage is a familiar one for many of us. John chapter 13, with our Lord Jesus Christ washing the disciples' feet. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative, and the word of the Lord is completely without error. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that his father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew Who was to betray him? That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, illumine our minds, prick our hearts, that we might truly hear your word and apply it to our lives, that we might know you better, that we might love you better, 
and that we might serve you better. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, this is actually the final look in our short series on the vision of Christ's church. We had an interlude for Easter and an interlude for my trip to China, but we are now back looking at the vision of Christ's church. It is a vision that comes from God's word to give us direction on how we are to be an expression of the church of Jesus Christ. We began this short series with our duty and privilege to worship God. We then moved to the way in which we bring others to worship and how we grow in our worship, that is, by making disciples. And now we move to a third item, serving the kingdom. We follow our Lord Jesus Christ in serving others so that they can see the beauty and the reality of the kingdom of God. And so this morning in our text, I would like us to see two things. First, Jesus in washing the disciples' feet showed us how to serve. Jesus showed us how to serve. But then secondly, Jesus calls us to serve. He doesn't just give us an example. He calls us to be servants. Jesus shows us how to serve, and he calls us to serve. Let's begin then by looking at how Jesus showed us how to serve. This passage is a very well-known example of Jesus' service. And it occurs in an important context. Right before this passage is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Right after this passage is Jesus' declaration that one would betray him. What is happening here is happening at what we call the Last Supper of our Lord with the disciples. It is a very important time. And because of this, what is happening here, what Jesus is showing us, is not simply something of a sideline. It's not an anecdote. It is happening at a crucial time in Jesus' ministry. And that should make us aware of its importance. That this is what Jesus chooses to emphasize in his last hours. Well, what then is Jesus doing? What Jesus is doing, first of all, is he is showing us how to serve and what that means is serving with humility. What Jesus is actually doing, we may know the story, but we may wonder why he is washing the disciples' feet. Let me give you a bit of historical context. In Jesus' day, people walked about in sandals. You know what sandals are, don't you? They're shoes that have a hard bottom and are kept on your foot with usually straps or with leather. And what that means is the bulk of your foot is exposed. It's not like today's modern boots or shoes where you slip your foot in a sock and then your whole foot into the boot or the shoe. No, your foot would be in the main exposed to the elements. The other thing that was 
happening in Jesus' day was that the streets and the roads were not made of pavement. There was no blacktop. There was no concrete to be had. They were made of pressed down dirt. And what that means, if you've ever been on a hike, is that means dust gets kicked up. And if you've ever been about, I'm sure some of you ladies have experienced this as you wear open-toed or open-foot shoes. If you're out in a place where it's dirty or there's dirt, it gets all over you. It's not exactly pleasant. Now let me tell you another thing about what's happening in this dinner. We are used to eating, sitting in chairs around a table on which we place our plates and silverware. But that's not how the people of Jesus' day ate. They ate reclining on couches, as it were. They would lay on the couch and eat in that way. Now, any mom of a young boy can understand this vividly. Imagine if your young son was out playing in the dirt and the mud and decided this would be a good time to put his feet up on the couch. I imagine he would get some choice words from mom. Get your feet off of there. Because not only are you dirty, now you're making the couch dirty, and if someone sits or lays on the couch, they're going to get all of their clothes dirty. So standard practice in Jesus' day would be before they ate, they would come and sit, and the servants would bring water and would wash their feet. Now, as you can imagine, this was not a pretty job. This was not something that someone hoped to be able to do as a career path. It was actually reserved for the lowest of servants. Not just servants, but the lowest ranking servants. And so it was a shock when Jesus a respected rabbi, the guest of honor at the meal, got up and took up the servant's towel and got on his knees and began to wash the feet of his disciples. We see this shock in verse 6, don't we? Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, what are you doing? You can't wash my feet. I can only imagine what Peter was thinking. Now, usually with Peter, you know what he's thinking because everything he's thinking comes out of his mouth. But I wonder if even here he held back a bit thinking, is Jesus crazy? This isn't something he should be doing. He's the guest of honor. He should not be serving us. But this wasn't just for show. Jesus had prepared himself He had properly prepared himself to serve this way. We see this in verses 4 and 5. He rose from supper. He put on the towel. He took off his outer garments. He put on the implements of the lowliest of servants. But before we begin to think how distasteful this task was, before we begin to think about how socially awkward it would be to have Jesus doing this. We really must remember who Jesus is. He's not just an important rabbi and friend of the disciples. He is the glorious second person of the Trinity. He is truly God. 
He is the one who has dwelt from all eternity with the Father and with the Spirit. He is the creator of all of the world, of everything in existence, merely by the word of his power. John tells us, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And it is only by the power of Jesus that our existence remains. You are sustained by the power of Jesus Christ. Hebrews puts it this way. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Unless Jesus upheld the universe, we would all cease to exist. And He is right now at the throne of God, ascended on high, the glorious one. John gives us a picture of this in Revelation chapter 1. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the voice of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining at full strength. And as if that description is not enough to awe you at the glory of Jesus, John, the beloved disciple, responds this way. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That is the glory of Jesus. He is also the one who is coming again to set everything right. The end of the book of Revelation reminds us that Jesus will return and he will establish all of his kingdom. Because the truth is, we Christians today spend far too little time thinking about the glory of Jesus. Our attention is drawn to our need and to Jesus' provision for us. And often we think of Jesus as he relates to us. But it is Jesus that the world revolves around. Is this how you see Jesus? Is he everything to you? Can you say with the old hymn, take the whole world, but give me Jesus? You see... It is only when we see the glory of Christ that we see the true meaning of this action. This is not just a condescension like we could imagine, as if we were helping a homeless man by the side of the road one day. That would be distasteful. It might be socially awkward. But it in no way envisions what Jesus is doing. No, this is the glorious, eternal Son of God stooping to serve sinful men. Jesus was fully aware of his position. Look at verse 3. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew exactly who he was. Think about something else. 
Think about whose feet he washed. Not just Peter's. Not just Jane's. But Judas's. Jesus washed the feet of the one who would betray him and bring him pain and death. This is very clear. John makes it clear to us in verse 2 that Judas had the devil enter him and he was preparing to betray Jesus and Jesus knew this and yet he still served with humility. Jesus intended for us to see this. He wants us to know that we are to serve others regardless of their station or position. He says to the disciples in verse 13, You know that I'm Lord. So therefore, in verse 15, you have to follow my example. What that means for you and for me is we have to put aside all of our airs, all of our pride, all of our rights. We are called to serve and to follow Jesus with humility. Next, think about the context of this. This was not something that Jesus did to fill up a dull day. No, it's not as if nothing important was going on. It's actually, this is happening at the center of the most important events in the history of the world. And Jesus shows us service with others in mind. Jesus knew that his time of suffering was upon him. He was looking straight at the cross. In verse 1, he knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. He knew that he was about to be betrayed because Judas would betray him in verse 2. He knew that these same disciples would abandon him at the cross. He knew his time was short in verse 3. That he was going back to God. Now let me ask you a question. What do we do when we know our time is short? There's even a cliche for it now, isn't there? When our time is short, when we know we do not have much longer to live, what we do is we create a bucket list. A list of things we were not able to do. And we want to make sure we do for ourselves before we're gone. Crazy things like jump out of an airplane. Like rappel off a bridge. Like eat the spiciest peppers imaginable. We think of all of these things that we should do for ourselves and our own satisfaction. But Jesus is not focused on himself. Jesus is not creating a bucket list. Jesus is focused on his disciples. When his time is short, to the very end, he is serving them. And he is serving them in the most distinct way. Now this shouldn't surprise us, because after all, this service is merely a highlight of all of the life of Jesus. Because the whole of his life was one of service to others. Jesus put it this way in Mark 10. He said, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
everything that Jesus did was for others. Everything. Even his birth. His birth. His ministry. His life. His death. Everything that Jesus did was for others. So what that means then for you and for me is if we are to follow Jesus, we must follow him here as well. We must be focused on others. We must learn how to serve others. We must not be focused upon ourselves and what we can obtain and what we can do. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we were not redeemed for our own purposes, but we were called to serve In Galatians 5, he says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Paul tells us that he operated and he practiced what he preached in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, Although I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. You see, Jesus is focused on others, and that should be our life as a follower of Christ. But our service is not an end to itself. We can mistakenly look at this event and think all Jesus wants is for us to put others first. And this is not the case. Jesus did put others first, but he put them first for a reason. We cannot make service greater than Jesus' message. Jesus chose this action deliberately. It was not just because it was a lowly action. He was actually trying to explain our need for him. Peter didn't understand this, and he resisted. Now, oftentimes when we see the gathering of the disciples, we think that Peter is the only one that doesn't understand. I think we would better think that Peter's the only one brave enough to speak. And the others are sitting there looking at each other, hoping Peter gets the answer. Peter will ask. He always asks. Shh, quiet. Right? But what Jesus wanted Peter to see after Peter said, No, Lord, you can't wash my feet. What Peter needed to see was his need for the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. There is a purpose to Jesus' service. And in the same way, we must be deliberate about our service to others. This is critical because throughout history, there is a temptation to focus only on the service itself. We're seeing that in our day in the church at large. Service is being uplifted and the gospel is being hidden. One of the greatest divisions in all of Presbyterian history occurred in the early 20th century when missionaries were going out throughout the globe to China, to Thailand, to Africa. And they were doing all forms of service building homes, cleaning water. But they weren't bringing the gospel. They were putting the gospel under a bushel, as it were. They weren't telling people about Jesus. They weren't telling them about their need. They said, well, we don't really need to do that right now. We just need to help people. And the church was a colossal failure 
on the mission field because of it. You see, the world is more than willing to take our service as long as you keep quiet about Jesus. Build homes, but don't tell them anything about Jesus. Bring water, but don't say the reason you're bringing the water is because you love Jesus. You see, the world wants our things, but it doesn't want to hear about Jesus. But we must serve, not as the world would have us serve, but as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we serve, we must declare who Jesus is. Our service is actually a way to show others Jesus. So there is absolutely nothing wrong with building, with repairing, with feeding, with clothing. Nothing at all. But we must never be afraid to speak of Jesus. We must never act in a way that denies Him or His Word. So let me ask you these questions. How can you serve others today? What opportunities do you have to show others Jesus? The Lord is calling you to His example. He is calling you to serve others to show them the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is what Jesus does. He not only shows us how to serve, He calls us to serve. This passage is about more than just Jesus serving. Jesus is deliberately giving us an example. He is deliberately giving the disciples an example of how to serve. And this is first and foremost because the world needs us. Jesus gave us this example so we would serve as well. And it is an obligation for Christians. Look at verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That word ought in the Greek is a very strong command or requirement or obligation. You all know what it's like to get that kind of language. When dad or mom looks at you and says, you know, you really should do that. You think, that's not an option. That was not just tossed out for my benefit. That's a requirement, and I'm going to have to answer for whether I did it or not. That's what Jesus is giving us. He's giving us an obligation He will ask us at the judgment if we have followed Him. And one reason for this is because the church is the hope of the world. Now, I don't say that because Christians are the ones who have all the answers. I don't say that because we always know what to do. But there is one thing. The church has Jesus. And because of that, we are the hope. Of the world. Jesus has given to his church the task of bringing his message to a world that is in need. We saw this several weeks ago when we looked at making disciples in the Great Commission. Because Jesus knows the world is lost without him. 
Who would be better to know it than Jesus? The world really does not know how to love one another. And so Jesus shows us how to show love by serving one another. This is what John tells us in verse 2. That he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. And it's not just that the world needs our labor. Although they do. Christians helped during Katrina. Christians invented hospitals. Christians invented universities. Christians bring bring food and shelter and relief throughout the world. But what the world really needs is to know what causes us to do that. The world needs the love of Jesus Christ. And so through service, we bring that love to them. The second thing that we see that Jesus calls us to serve is because there is kingdom work yet still to do. We are also called to serve because Jesus has left it to us. Now, in his wisdom, Jesus has left the world. John warns us about this in verse 1, that his hour had come to depart. And we know from the scripture that this is for our good, Because Jesus must depart in order to send His Spirit. And through the Spirit, Jesus Christ can be present in all of the world through His church. And so we are called to represent Jesus to the world. We are His ambassadors. We are the ones who provide in His name. Who provide food and clothing and visiting the sick and visiting those in prison as is described in Matthew 25. And oftentimes it is so natural for a Christian they're not even aware of what they're doing. They're simply following Jesus. And so they ask Jesus, when did we ever feed you? When did we ever clothe you? We never visited you. And Jesus has to remind them that when you've done this to the least of these... You've done it for me. But there is something else we must think about. How would others know that you are a follower of Jesus? Do you serve others selflessly? Do you look for opportunities to serve? You see, serving is not optional Because we are not just waiting for Jesus to come back. We are called to work. To build up the kingdom so that others may be brought in. We are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so being a part of Christ's church is not just observing what is going on. You see, at Christ's church, we want to obey and follow Jesus. And that means rolling up our sleeves. It means finding ways to serve. And there are many ways to serve right here. You could help with our ESL program. You could help with our children's ministry. There's needs with our youth ministry. We have things that need to be done around the building. There are people that need to be greeted as they come to worship. You can give. There are so many ways that you can serve right here at Christ Church. Because we are called... 
to work for Jesus. To see the kingdom expand and grow, that the elect may be brought in all to the glory of King Jesus. The final thing we see is that we are to serve in the end simply out of obedience to Christ. We are called to serve because Jesus is our Lord. You see, there are things to be done. People can be blessed. There is a benefit to the service that we provide. But in the final analysis, we serve because our Lord tells us so. We are not, as John says in verse 16, to think that we are greater than our master. That somehow our master can serve, but we are above it. Jesus has told us how he runs his church, and it is our duty to obey. Ultimately, this is for our growth. By practicing our obedience to Jesus... That is a means that he uses to change us into his image. We follow our king. In conclusion, are you ready to obey Jesus now? Are you ready to take concrete steps in obedience? We are called to serve others in the name of Christ. Jesus has given us his example. He has given us a purpose. And there is much work to do. Christ's church desires to be a church that is obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready to be a part of that vision? Are you ready to hear the call of your Savior and serve Him even as He has shown to us, even as He calls us this very day? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this example of the Lord Jesus Christ and His service. For we know, O Lord, that we are not above serving others and that we show others our love for them by serving them. Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ, to long for and to desire to serve others, that they might hear, that they might know the Lord Jesus, that your kingdom might expand, and that Jesus might get all the glory. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.